Welcome again to Folk Islam. Uh, now we're taking on something else in terms of the way we present the gospel to the folk Muslims. And I think this is the best part for me in time. I'm not going to be telling you about Muslim holy men and what have you, but this is where we present the gospel and how we present the gospel to folk Muslims. And I have titled this part of the lesson as Methods of Presentation in Worldview Evangelism, Worldview Discipleship. I preached a sermon one time from the book of Mark, I think it was Mark 8, where I entitled it, Sorry, No Discount, There's No Discount for Discipleship. Uh, Christ said we must die and pick up our cross daily and follow him. So there's no discount in discipleship. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his beautiful book, um, uh, The Cause of Discipleship, he says that when Christ called a man or a person, he bades him come and die. And that's what we have to keep in mind. When Christ uh, redeemed you, the call is on your life, and he's calling us to come and die. Uh, there are three key questions uh, that every religion uh, will have to ask. Uh, there are people, there are a group of people, or anyone, be it Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, or Christianity. And I mentioned that in one of the, uh, one of the studies previously. That is, uh, what is ultimate reality? What is real? What do you consider to be real? How would the Muslims answer that? The folk Muslim, how would they answer it? Since they don't know what is real, that's why they are searching for everything and everywhere in the wrong places. And the next question we have to answer or to ask our fellow uh, Muslims, especially the folk Muslims, what is the human condition? Why are we hungry for God? I would recommend a book that I think everyone should read St. Augustine's Confessions. Uh, Augustine said that uh, his heart was restless until his heart found rest in God. And I think there were all we are. We thirst for God. Um, Chuck Swindoll um, said that uh, we are all bent towards evil. And the church is not a rightful answer. At times, the way we have behaved as a church have actually driven away people from the church. Uh, let me quote this from Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll said, the church is like Noah's ark. What do I mean by that, or what does he mean by that? What was in Noah's ark? Follow this slowly, okay? I think the end, you, you, know, you see the end result, how he's comparing the church of Jesus Christ with Noah's ark. What was there? We had only eight human beings. Uh, what was the rest on board? Animals. Snakes, goat, cow, sheep, and what have you. All these animals. So what Chuck Swindoll is saying that uh, Noah's art was like the church. The smell inside was not good, but it was the only safe place to be. So that's how the church is like. Do we like everything in the church? No but it is the only safe place in the world for us. So after we answer the question, what is real? And then we come to the human condition. What is our condition? 
Why is such evil in the world? Why do we sin? Blaise Pascal in his book, Pensee, he talks about deposed royalty. And that is we are like beasts and at the same time loyal. The only religion I answer that is Christianity. And the last question as we go through this lesson would be, what is the remedy for our trouble? What is the remedy for our trouble? What is real? What is the human condition? And what is the remedy for the condition if we even come across it? The techniques or let's say the strategy I want for us to use is what Jesus used throughout the New Testament, asking people questions. I love to ask questions. Like I said before, when I enter the new culture, I want to know why the people dress the way they dress. When I meet Muslims, I want to know why do you pray five times a day? I take interest in what they do, what they say, what they eat, the way they dress, where they go. Their worship service, the mosque. I want to know. I truly show interest in that. Jesus did it. He often asked questions of those who came to him to get them thinking and to understand them. Diagnosis comes before prescription. It can, be help, uh, it can help win the right to be heard if we listen before speaking. It can give spring balls from which to share. It can shed new light on your own faith as you engage people and talk to them. There's a book I read. It's <laughs> the title of the book is The Father of Jesus Christ, the God of Muhammad. Can you imagine asking a Muslim that question? Uh, I've learned I have kids, and you have to keep this in mind as a witness to Muslims. Uh, when they ask you a question, you make the answer so long that they forget the question. Uh, okay, I <laughs> take, just keep that in mind. But it's always good to listen, and I will tell you the reason why we should listen. The key is listening. Uh, the only time Christians listen is when they are talking, according to G.K. Chesterton. Isn't it true many times we love hearing ourselves instead of listening to those who are truly in need? Now, if you've been following the lessons, we talk about these people going to mountains and worshiping there. We talk about they're going to witch doctors. We talk about they're wearing voodoo's and charms around their neck. And then when the opportunity comes where they're actually interested in the gospel and in our message, guess what? We are doing most of the talking instead of listening to them. Like Peter said, he said, but in your hearts, reverend Christ as law, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. I love it. And I love that verse in the King James. It said, be ready always. Set apart the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer when people ask you. And in fact, in verse 16 and 17, it says, actually, with respect, meekness and respect. It means that we understand and respect their culture. It means that we engage them in such a way that we don't look down on their culture or on their religion or on the way they practice their religion, but with respect. And remember, I think I told you uh, that First Peter 3.15 is actually in the context of suffering. Even if you have been persecuted and then while suffering, you are rejoicing. And while rejoicing, the person says, hey, why are you so different? And that's the time Peter wants for you to be ready. And this is where the life of the mind comes in. 
prepare your mind. You, you don't just love God with all your heart and soul, but you love him with your mind. J.P. Mullen's book, Love the Lord with All Your Mind. Jim Sire wrote a book, Habits of the Mind. Um, there's a book I really love. There's a joke about this book. The book is entitled, How to Read a Book. And guess what? Someone went to the library and said, I'm looking for a video on how to read a book. And you don't do that. You don't look for a video on how to read a book. But those books, if you have time, read them for me. Uh, develop the Christian mind. Get to understand your theology. Get to understand who Christ is, the presence of Christ, his work on the cross. Get to understand that as you engage these people and ask the wonderful and tough questions. And then you are asking, but how? How do we do this, Tony? We must both ask the questions and tell the biblical stories from within the framework of reference, meaning the Muslim worldview. We know they are afraid of the unknown spirit world. We know that they have fear of spirits and jinns, whatever you call it, be it Arabic or English. They are afraid of that. And so we have to understand that. And what? Frame our questions based on our worldview. Like the question we had, the first question I was talking about, or the title of this book, um, is the God of Jesus Christ, or is the father of Jesus Christ the God of Muhammad? How will a Muslim answer that? Be in a Muslim. At uh, one time, and also be ready when I ask you, uh, keep this in mind, never, ever answer people question. I love Socrates. The Socratic matter is that questions for questions. A Muslim asked me one day, uh, you remember the trick, <laughs> not the trick, the question that I usually do when I answer my, my, my children. But this Muslim asked me, was Muhammad a true prophet? Isn't that a wonderful question? If I say yes, I'll be lying. If I say no, then I lose him. So what do I do? And so I go within the question and analyze it. Listen to them, okay? Listen to them. What do you mean by truth? So by the time we are downloaded everything on the world truth, one, they have forgotten the question. Two, I guide them to the place where I can witness and share the gospel with them. Listen to them, ask the right question. Take, for example, we talk about the Shahada. Uh, they look for common grounds. Common grounds meaning what um, Paul did on Mars Hill in Acts chapters, uh, chapter 17. If you remember, if you actually remember, do you know one time I almost memorized the book of Acts? Uh, because I want to know what Paul did and the way he witnessed. When Paul entered Athens in Acts chapter 17 verse 16, he said his spirit was provoked within him. When last was your spirit provoked for anything in your culture? And many times, in fact, we compromise our very existence in order to be accepted. And so Paul said, as I observed, one of the things we don't do again as Christians, we don't observe other people's culture. And since I came to this beautiful city of Seattle, I've been observing the people and asking questions of those who live here so I would know and understand that when I meet someone, I can find a common ground for us to walk on. Paul said, as I walk your market and places, I observe that you put an object or a sign or something that said to the unknown God. Then Paul said, because you don't know him, this is God I'm going to present to you. So the first thing I want for us to see that the Muslim and us agreed, uh, not that in terms of his attributes, but we, we agree that there's only one God, the oneness of God. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6 verse 4, 
Hear, O Israel, your God is one. Hear, O Israel, your God is one. At least there's a common working ground we can work with the folk Muslim. Even though in the, you know, their worldview is very pantheistic in that God is in everything and everything is in God. But at least there's an understanding. They are not atheists. They believe that there's a God. So we start working from where they are and start asking questions. What do you mean by one God? What do you mean when you say the Shahada, that there's no God but God and his prophet Muhammad? Help me understand. And that's a common ground. And then the next one, this is what, these people pray Salat. They pray five times a day facing Mecca. Facing Mecca. Five times a day facing Mecca. They're washing their body and doing, and Jesus said what? Uh, in fact, it's in First Thessalonians chapter 5, I think verse 17, that says that we should pray without seasons. That is, when we sit, when we walk, Christians, we are praying. In fact, Jesus taught us how to pray. Uh, when the disciple asked and said, show us to pray. He said, when you pray, say this, you know, our Father. And that's the prayer that Jesus taught us. So those are major, major common grounds we can find. That there's one God, and we all pray to that one God. And the third thing within folk Islam, where they, instead of wearing off um, uh, spirit pollutions, uh, demonic pollutions, Give alms. Is it bad to do wrong? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that when we give in gifts, our right hand should not even know what the left hand is doing. And we found a common ground in there that we can work with, that we can give. And tr I truly believe this, that we should have a holistic ministry. Uh, Daryl uh, Miller in his wonderful books, if you have time, you, I mean, it's a must read. Uh, discipling the nations. He said that if the church failed to disciple the nations, the nation would disciple the church. And I don't want for that to happen. And one philosopher put it this way, while looking for the church I found it in the world, and while looking for the world I found it in the church. And so we have to present ourselves in such a way that when we give alms, we are actually doing it because we love them. Let me pause here to let you know this. We should never, ever, okay, I will say that again slowly. We should never, ever evangelize or make people as object for our evangelism, okay? They are people. They are sinners just like us. And so we should keep that in mind. They are sinners just like us. So if alms giving is a platform that we all can start from to start our evangelism, we should do that. And then Ramadan. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, is not if you fast. Jesus said, when you fast, and this is where we have a common ground, 30 days once a year fasting for all Muslims. And that's a time they are very spiritual, be it the folk Muslims. That's a time we need to be closer to them, loving people for who they are, not loving them because we want for them to be Christian, but just loving them because God has put in our hearts to love them. Those are five common grounds. And even, you know, if you go back to the five pillars of Islam, take for example, the first one, the Shahada. And where did they get it from? Islam came 610. 610. They got it from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It was already around. Uh, the five times a day prayer. You remember Daniel chapter 6, verse 10? They said Daniel prayed three times a day facing Jerusalem. 
It was around 623 or 624 when Muhammad, when the Jews rejected him and Dina before he told them to switch from Mecca, I mean from, from Jerusalem to Mecca. But they were praying on Saturday and facing Jerusalem. And then you come to arms giving. Again, the same uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus to us. So all of these things are borrowed from us. In fact, uh, you remember in the last lesson, we were talking about the, the Ummah, the Islamic Ummah, the Muslim community. If there's anything, we should create a community as Christians that will be, that Muslims will envy to be part of. But many times the church has become so shallow uh, they will present the gospel so shallow in our lives and so, it's so delusional. Talking about delusional, um, how to call him? One of America, some of you might know him, um, America philosopher, Wooden Allen. He's an actor. He put it this way He said, I don't want to, he said, I'm not afraid of death. I don't just want to be there when it happens. Talk about someone being delusional. We go to points of departure in, in, in our religious uh, communication uh, with Muslims from their belief and practice on the unity of God. These are the questions I want for you to formulate. Ask your friend about the Muslim use of the creed, Ilah Ilala, the Muslim God. That's a book by Samuel Zwimmer. If you have time, please read it. But what do they mean, Ilah, Ilala? What do you mean when, there's, when you say there's only one God, no other God but him? What do you mean by that? Help me understand. Take the position of a student planning to learn from a culture. Do not go in as a master or know it all. Go there claiming not to know so they can help you understand. Point out the Christian belief in the unity of God. Again, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses five, uh, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, your God is one. Moses, talking to the Israelites, do not copy the practices of the nations that you are going to. You go through Joshua, you go through the judges, even the, little, the tiny little book of Ruth, talk about the redemption and the king's man redeemer. As you go through these passages, Ask questions of your Muslim friend, be it a woman or a man. All right, one of the most beautiful stories in Scripture, again, the woman at the well. See, the true meaning of worship. Remember, Jesus come in John 4 and asked this Samaritan woman. This picture fit perfectly well for many African countries. She's from another tribe. Strike one. Okay, no, that's a baseball term. I, I, let me, I take that back. Uh, um, I mean, that's the first PK that we call like soccer or football penalty against her. One, she's a woman. Two, from another tribe. Three, she's a prostitute. She does, I mean, she, she doesn't fit for society. But here the master, the redeemer of the world, knelt down, asked this woman, give me to drink. What a conversation. And then, like a typical African or just like me, Tony, you been from this tribe, maybe you are Amhara or, or Somali, or maybe uh, Oluo from Kenya, or, or Kukuyu from Ke uh, Kenya, or Tupsi from, uh, from, from Rwanda, or, or Zulu 
from South Africa? You been a Zulu, how dare you ask me to give you to drink? Now, follow Jesus' word. If you only knew, if you only knew who is asking you to give to, uh, asking you to, give to drink, you know what you would do? You were asking for living water. It took about 26 verses. Jesus talking to this woman. Our message, the need for loving and obeying God. Not a place of worship. And then in John um, 4.24, Jesus said, uh, you know, the true worshiper, worship God in spirit and in truth. I always tell my fellow Muslims, it is not the position of our body of facing Mecca. It is not the position where we stand and face east to Mecca, but it is our position of our hearts towards God that God is looking for. Let us keep that in mind as we study this. The need for love or loving and obeying God, not just doing the motions uh, of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but it has to do, I think it's in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 or 2, in the way it says, give your body as a living sacrifice, renewing of the mind. This is what God is looking for. And these are the things you need to engage your folk Muslim friends. Engage them with that. 